0: you're with me for the second chapter of the 2022 unsanction your mind summer reading series we're going to continue reading willful blindness this is chapter 2 section 86 from yesterday i just wanted to add that there will be a couple of new links added to the links section and uh the biggest one I need to talk about is this, uh, this development that DHS is launching uh, a restructuring of their entire department based on the Uvalde shooting. And I didn't know that, but it is happening. So I'm going to take a moment now and alert all of my f- followers to come to the update. Just do that now. Reading now. There we go. So that didn't that was fairly painless. So let's just move right back into what we're doing. So chapter two, section eighty-six, willful blindness. Um, So here it goes. So Alderson put a transcript of the interview into a suspicious transaction report to be filed with the RCMP, GPEB, and FinTrack, Canada's anti-money laundering intelligence agency. Alderson crossed Boundary Road and took a deep breath. His heartbeat was up. It was a shot of adrenaline the vastness of, of the information Krusty had downloaded on him. He was driving through the area that Vancouver Police called District 2, and through his windshield, East Hastings was a long tunnel framing the banks and condos towers rising behind the downtown Eastside housing projects. It was a stark contrast, the beautiful twisting glass structures, with units mostly sold unseen to offshore buyers and the desperate street corners below like Maine and Hastings. The epicenter of six blocks of addiction and death, the most impoverished neighborhood in Canada. Holy shit, all of a kept saying to himself, this is big. This is very big. This changes everything. And I knew it. It had to be the drug money. I knew it. Now he had a dilemma. The intel that Krusty had provided was incredibly sensitive. Alderson didn't want to lose the trust of the RCMP, but he also had a legal obligation to officially report any suspected suspected criminality to the BC casino regulator, GPEB. It was called a Section 86 report. In some ways, the Section 86 law was a promise to BC citizens, you, the people, will allow the government to administer casinos. Businesses extremely prone to crime if we transparently report on and act against crime within them. Now, the way Alderson saw it, for the B.C. government, there was no more room for speculating or debating about mystery money from China. Calvin Krusty had said the RCMP was in the middle of investigating criminals from China using B.C. casinos to launder cash. And not only that, evidently using River Rock Casino systematically. The lottery corp had had to refuse the criminal proceeds or become a party to the offense of money laundering. Alderson hit the steering wheel. And I told him this was happening, he said to himself. He thought back to early 2012, a few months after he had banned the Burnaby city politician Ching Chang. One morning he logged into the River Rock Casino security system and started reviewing footage. And he saw the one Baccarat player buy in for $100,000 and play for about an hour. The gambler from China had played a few hands, but mostly he just jiggled his chips in his pocket. The $100,000 in chips was never at risk. The gambler was acting, and then he abruptly cashed out. The gambler had bought his chips with bricks of $20 bills, but the casino Cage paid him out in wads of 100s, a huge red flag for money laundering, known in the casino industry as as refining currency. It allows drug traffickers to exchange 20s wrapped in elastic bands, the type of currency most often used in drug drug transactions, for 100s that come clean from the casino wrapped into banking standards. Funds that are now endorsed by Canada's anti-money laundering system. In the simplest term, refining is about reducing volume. Drug deals produce a trailer truckloads of $20 bills that are basically worthless and dangerous for criminal organizations to warehouse. But Narcos employ money launderers to reduce their trailer loads of cash down to pickup truck loads by refining the 20s in casinos and turning them into 100s or 1,000s next they can convert the smaller loads bigger bills into bank drafts or check or wire transfers by breaking 100,000 into $100 bills into 10 or 20 parcels and employing squads of smurfs to deposit amounts of under $10,000 per person into separate bank accounts looking at this $100,000 $100,000 Baccarat refining transaction on tape at the River Rock Casino, Alderson was pissed. The tape should have been flagged. He ran up to the casino security office and checked a live camera. And he saw the same player at it again. Another buy-in for $100,000 and $20 bills. He called surveillance right away. You stop his play right now and give him his money back in 20s. I want to talk to him. Within minutes, the Richmond casino manager was on the phone, shouting. It was the same manager who had vouched for Chang Chang when Alderson banned the Burnaby politician for loan sharking. You don't tell my guys what to do, the the casino manager had yelled at Alderson. This is my casino, not yours, and if I want to pay him back in 100s or a check, I will. Okay. Can I quote you on that in my suspicious transaction report Alderson fired back? The player is refining. This casino executive, Rick Duff, a manager with Great Canadian Gaming, the company that operated the Richmond Casino, appeared to have a long history of conflict with frontline investigators who tried to bar Chinese VIPs at River Rock Casino. One of those investigators was Mike Hiller, a former RCMP officer. Hiller was probably Canada's leading expert on Chinese transactional narcos and operatives like Paul King Jin. Hiller and Duff had a dust-up in 2009, and the same problem was at the heart of Alderson's shouting match with Duff. Hiller's investigation notebook said on July 3rd, 2009, Duff came into Hiller's office upset about BC Lottery Corp barrings for large tra- cash transactions of players. Rick Duff also mentions that if that is how, excuse me, just a moment, getting some spooling here, the Lottery Corp investigators are going to do business, then he will instruct surveillance to do things differently. There it was. You don't tell my casino staff what to do. And a few days later, Duff met with Hiller's boss, George Friesen. They discussed Hiller's five-year ban on a River Rock VIP, and the ban was rescinded, according to Hiller's notes. Alderson knew about this case. Pretty damning stuff, he told me. Years later, Duff would testify that he didn't do anything wrong. But he did acknowledge that he argued with Hiller, and Alderson about VIPs and told Alderson, I thought your job was to report suspicious transactions and let the real p- police investigate. In 2012, Alderson's heated conversation with Duff had ended abruptly, and Alderson filed the lottery court forms needed to suspend the gambler pending an interview on his source of funds. The gambler had agreed to meet Alderson for an initial interview at River Rock, but Alderson didn't probe too deeply on that occasion because the casino provided its own translator for Chinese VIP interviews and Alderson didn't trust the scenario. One interesting thing that the whale had said was that he traded goods with his associates in China and in return they provided him $20 to buy in with when he traveled to Richmond Within a few days, the player had contacted Alderson again and agreed to a further interview at Lottery Corp headquarters in Vancouver. The VIP wanted his gambling privileges back. Alderson had a coworker who spoke Cantonese interpret for the interview. He started with the simple question that no one in River Rock Casino wanted to ask the high rollers. So where did you get this $100,000 cash to gamble? Not from the bank, right? The High Roller said he used WeChat, which is the Chinese text messaging application to connect with cash lenders in Richmond, a red flag right, right off the bat. So Alderson had started asking more penetrating questions. Who are the lenders? Do you know where they're getting their money? What is your source of income? The man didn't want to identify his lender. This guy is full of shit. Alderson's co-worker, the Cantonese interpreter, had said to Alderson in English, but the river rock gambler kept talking and he admitted to, to a stunning detail after connecting with his source on WeChat. The gambler was directed to a strip mall in Richmond. A car pulled up and flashed its headlights and the VIP walked out over to the trunk of the car. He was handed a bag of $20, $20 bills and a $100,000 load and he went straight to River Rock Casino. Drug cops from Vancouver to Toronto to Montreal to Las Vegas would recognize this as a textbook narco cash drop. Drug dealing transactions have al- always have more people involved than most imagine, top-tier narcos insulated by middlemen and mules and frontline money launderers. And the cash exchanges almost always takes place out of car trunks and strip mall lots. This is freaking evidence of money laundering, Alderson had thought to himself in the middle of the interview. Whether Narcos hired the VIP to launder the money in the casino, whether he was unwittingly laundering for Narcos, or whether he was a Narco himself, it didn't matter. So Algerson put a transcript of the interview into a suspicious transaction report to be filed with the RCMP, the GPEB, FinTrack, Canada's anti money laundering intelligence agency. So now Alderson was driving past the Pacific National Exhibition and the Hastings Racetrack and he turned north on Renfrew Street, just a couple of minutes away from the Vancouver Lottery Corp office. Thinking back to what happened after he grilled the VIP and clashed with River Rock Casino manager really burned him up now. So his currency refining report had gone up the chain to the Compliance Department and a few days later, Alderson was called into Terrytown's office. Towns was his boss, the Lottery Corp. Director of Compliance. Someone wasn't happy that Alderson had directed Richmond Concedo staff to toss out the Cantonese speaking VIP. Alderson argued his case to the Towns. The evidence clearly showed the gambler was laundering cash. He was refining. That was not legal gambling. But Towns was exasperated. You aren't a cop anymore, Alderson, he had heard Towns say. You're at the casino to investigate money laundering. Cut that shit out, Towns barked. The message was simple. Don't approach VIPs at River Rock. Don't question them. Don't even walk into the VIP rooms. Alderson's fellow investigators, St- Steve Bixma and Stone Lee, were there too. Lee, a former Canadian employee who's reli- who religiously took notes in his Lottery Corp Investigator's Notebook, captured the dialogue for posterity. And he wrote down towns Townsend said it was Great Canadians President Rod Baker who had called and complained that Lottery Corp Investigators were tossing VIPs out of River Rock's high-limit salon. It's my understanding we're being told to back off by our managers, Lee wrote in his April 2012 notebook entry. When the meeting was over had conversations over what was discussed in Terry's office. Another manager, George Friesen, stated that he agrees with that, what we're doing, and that this is political. What you gonna do? Years later, Towns denied ordering his staff not to question River Rock VIPs and testified that he performed his compliance duties diligently and BC casinos were not used for bulk cash money laundering on his watch. That night, after the dust-up with Terry Towns, Alderson, Beeksma, and Lee went out to the Shark Club in Richmond. Screw this, Alderson had said, sipping his Guinness stout. I'm done with this the next day in the River Rock Casino security office. Alderson and Lee and Beeksma put posters of the three monkeys on the wall. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Every day that week, he woke up thinking, today's the day they fire me. But incredibly, the opposite happened. He was promoted off the floor (laughs) at River Rock Casino and into Lottery Corp headquarters in Vancouver to work in the internet gambling division. Monitoring casino surveillance tape wasn't his job anymore. The joke with his mates at work was, say what? Say you want to get promoted out of casino security in Richmond and into a nice office job at Lottery Corp headquarters. How do you do it? Well, you just grab onto the cash cages at River Rock Casino and start rattling them like a bastard. And now he was in the same office with the brass, a situation that complicated his cop instincts big time. You had to play nice and to move up in the corporation. You had to paper the trail when going after VIPs. It was a lot easier to toss a suspected gangster from the casino floor than in the head office. And now it all had come to a head. Alderson turned to off Renfrew and parked in front of the corporation's Vancouver headquarters. He walked into his office and sat quietly for a bit. Lottery Corp. executives were in all-day board meetings on the third floor. Alderson called the B.C. government in Victoria to let Len Millier, GPEB's executive director of compliance. It was a brief call. Alderson told Millier that he'd had just had a very disturbing conversation with Calvin Krusty, and it was probably best that Milliard called Krusty right away. Soon, Milliard called back. Alderson felt that Milliard sounded quite shaken as he recounted the same information that Alderson had already heard from Krusty. Milliard told Alderson that he had just briefed the assistant deputy minister in charge of GPEB and that Krusty's information was now going up to Finance Minister Mike DeJong, who was in charge of the Lottery Corp and GPEB. Miliere told Alderson he should brief the Lottery Corp executives before they got a call from Jong's office. And Miliere said something else that would stick in Alderson's mind. GPEB Director of Investigations Larry Van had been fired in late 2014 after warning BC government about massive escalation in money laundering. Larry Vandergraaff was right all along, Miller said, without elaborating further. Alderson went up to the third floor and spoke to Lottery Corp CEO Jim Lightbody's personal assistant, and he said he had an urgent briefing to share. In a few minutes, Lightbody and Alderson's boss, Vice President of Compliance, Brad Desmarais, walked out of the boardroom. They all went into Lightbody's large, open-concept office. Lightbody was a 54-year-old former lacrosse player, lean and athletic, the popular leader with salesmen and their charisma. Alderson told them precisely what he had heard from Calvin Krusty. Drug traffickers were using Lottery Corp casinos systematically to launder cash through whale gamblers from China. Looking back at his briefing, Alderson told me he was surprised with how blunt Lightbody was. He remembers Lightbody's first words were, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Next Lightbody asked Alderson and Desmarai, what do we need to do? Everyone agreed the Lottery Corp had to identify the VIPs linked to Silver International and Paul King and either bar them from casinos or put tight restrictions on them, forcing them to prove their large cash buy-ins came from Canadian banks. Alderson was asked to arrange meetings between the RCMP and provincial government to get started on identifying the VIPs connected to drug money. And he went back to his office and started making calls. Driving home that night, he was elated. He felt his job had become much easier. If he wanted to ban a VIP suspected of links to organized crime... He wouldn't be getting pushback from casino managers anymore. So the next day at 7.49 a.m., Len Miliere emailed Alderson requesting a report on the federal serious and organized crimes investigation. Good morning, Ross. I'm requesting a Section 86 report from BCLC, which is to be sent directly to me, no distribution beyond that, outlining the following. The names and other descriptors, vehicles, addresses pro- provided by the BCLC to the investigative body the names of all individuals at BCLC who are currently aware of this project. And Alderson wrote back, BCLC suspected potential criminal involvement in February of 2015 involving Paul Jin. There was communication between BCLC and GPEB investigations alluding to the intelligence around Jin and possible illegal gaming in the Lower Mainland. Quote, On June 29, 2015, at 1300 hours, BCLC... Director AML Ross Alderson met with Federal Serious and Organized Crime FSOC operational team to discuss the GIN file. Alderson was advised that there were two concurrent investigations that may be linked. However, that GIN was not the primary focus of their investigation and that the casino involvement had not been looked at for some time. Quote, On July 20, 2015, at 1,400 hours, BCLC Director AML Ross Alderson met with FSOC operational team to discuss any updates on the GIN file. Alderson was advised that FSOC had now established a direct link from an illegal cash facility which involved illicit funds being involved in drop-offs to casino patrons at River Rock Casino Resort. On July 22, 2015, at Oh eight hundred hours. BCLC AML Ross Alderson met with Inspector Cal Crusty to discuss the information. Alderson was advised that the investigation had uncovered the that potentially some of the funds linked to transnational drug trafficking and terrorist finance, finance were directly related to casino activity. Also that several foreign law enforcement agencies foreign law enforcement agencies were now involved. It was discussed how over several years a number of investigative agencies had highlighted concerns about some of the funds entering casinos and those investigations had not progressed. Hmm. And Alderson concluded that his Section 86 report with a sentence that acknowledged that highly confidential nature of the information provided by Krusty Alderson was aware of this privileged information, however the information discussed could have a potentially devastating impact on the casino industry, and it should be true or leaked out to the media. There was a dramatic irony in the sentence, too. It foreshadowed Alderson's ultimate decision to share sensitive information with me and a choice that altered his life, and it did impact BC casino industry because when I obtained the JIN report, and I being the Sam Cooper, uh, the document gave me the protection to withstand legal attacks from the casino industry and report on the devastating impact of Silver International's underground banking operations. It was a stunning and terrible operation laundering more than one billion each year in Vancouver for Chinese, Mexican, and Iranian crime cartels. To my mind, Silver took on the shape of a financial weapon. A toxic creation that systematically eroded China's economic foundations and the rule of law while fulfilling the needs of transnational narcos and Chinese Communist Party oligarchs in elegantly balanced symbiotic transactions, effortlessly effortlessly shifting narco dollars worldwide by leveraging massive reserves of corruption money. Seeking Underground Channels Out of Mainline China. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Chapter 2, Section 86, uh, Willful Blindness. So I have Joshua Joe and One Wanderer with me. Please tune in tomorrow when we cover the Vancouver Model 1.0. Thank you for joining us here at the Unsanctioned Citizen. Check out the links that have been posted up at the top. Just scroll through the, uh, the library section there with the four squares, and you can see more. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call-in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.